Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey everyone, before we dive into this week's episode, we have a resource that we wanted to tell you about. Transform every week of yours with our brilliance bit that will deliver right to your email inbox. Sign up for it at brilliantlyresilient.net and keep living brilliantly resilient. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. We have a guest today that I am so excited to talk to because, first of all, she is utterly hilarious. And so much about her experience and when I was reading about her background mirrored my own. Of course, I'm way older than her, so decades and decades ago, but nonetheless, it just proves that, you know, this kind of experience that we have is a common thing. So we're welcoming today Shireen Thor, who is, I, I like to call her a rebel with a cause, comedian, coach, you name it, former disgruntled cubicle monkey, that just sent me over the edge. That was hilarious. So Shireen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So as I mentioned, um, a lot of your experience that I was reading about mirrored a lot of my own. And I'm going to let you tell your story because you um, you have an, an, a background. Your parents were Egyptian and you have that whole immigration, immigrant story to tell, which which is a unique cultural perspective. So Let's just get into it and tell us about your story and how you became a, a rebel with a cause. Ooh, now you got me excited. I can't wait to hear how your story <laughs> relates. So my parents immigrated from Egypt. Uh, they got married. They had my sister. They had me a couple years later. And, you know, with most immigrant parents and actually many parents, regardless of race, culture, whatever, they had conditional love to offer us. And what they said was, you must be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. We understood. Like, that's what's expected. You better fall in line. Um, I was clearly not going to be an engineer with this <laughs> weird personality I have. Um, but, you know, I wanted that conditional love. So I did what I could. So instead, when I went off to college, instead of majoring in, like, philosophy or art, which I would have loved, I majored in communications because it wasn't as scary or boring to me as engineering, but it was kind of interesting because I like people. Um, and then I swiftly graduated got my first job and three months into that job was sexually harassed. A guy oh, wow. walked into my office. I know dirty, right? A guy walked into my office. I thought I was so cool. I had a little office. Um, he <laughs> shut the door behind him. He hovered over my desk and said, if you don't lose your attitude, I'm going to bend you over this desk and spank you. Wow. I know. <laughs> I literally stopped breathing just then. Like I just literally stopped breathing. Oh my God. Because it's ridiculous. It's literally something you'd think was scripted in a fake movie. Cause like, why would that happen in real life? And yet here I was like a young 20 something looking at this guy in the face thinking like, wow, what is happening now as an over 40 year old woman, I understand that what was happening was the patriarchy was punching me in the face. The second I got in the work industry yeah. <laughs> at the time, I didn't know about any of that stuff. Um, so that was a really unfortunate, uncomfortable experience. You know, I told my boss, he was really upset about it. He told his boss, he was really upset about it. 
And then they told the CEO of the company and the three of them, you know, had me come into a meeting and with the first two bosses response, I really thought, oh, cool, they're going to handle this. It's going to be great. Uh, but the CEO just looked me in the face and said, well, he was just joking, right? Well, you can still work with him, right? And I was like holding, yeah, I was like holding back tears. And I'm like, yes, because I'm a 20 something little girl with no work experience. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to be that girl, the like whistleblower, the one that makes a fuss and like then everyone turns on you or I would get fired. You know, I talked to like friends and family. They all said like, you don't have enough work experience. You don't want to look like you're jumping around jobs. So just grin and bear it, stick with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with my little toolbox, my little life skills toolbox I had at the time, that was the best I knew, right? Like be a good girl. Don't say too much. Don't do too much. Don't expect too much. Just like shush. So I did. I shushed for a good year and a half at that job. And every day I went into that work place, my dignity, my the, my levels of dignity went down. I just felt in my heart, like these people think that I get to be treated like trash and I'm not doing anything to stand up for myself. And so I'm agreeing with that. And that makes me feel horrible. You know, of course, this was all very unconscious. I was not completely aware of those thoughts and feelings at the time. Luckily, there was an intervention. I had a really good friend who was nagging me to go to this personal development seminar. And I thought I was too cool for school, um, you know, because I had a job and I had a college degree and by all external standards, I didn't need help for any reason. But I'm lucky because she just continued to like really nag me. And I went and while I was reluctant about it and asking for my money back and being like a real peach about the whole thing, <laughs> um, <laughs> they told me that their return policy was that if I went to the whole thing and got nothing out of it, that then they could give me my money back. But I just had to go to the whole thing first. So I did. And I'm really so grateful for that return policy because at that seminar, it was like the awakening of just understanding how much I was deferring all my life's choices to my mother and father's rule book, the whoever at the workplace, right? Like whatever friends and family thought, like, I just want to fit in. I just want that conditional love as much as I can possibly get it. And at the same time, sacrificing my authentic soul, right? Like I wasn't operating in my identity. I, instead of doing philosophy or art, I did communications. I was like a C minus at live. I was just coasting through. Um, so I decided to like either go for the A or go for the F. And after this, after this um, seminar, I quit a master's degree and started doing stand-up comedy. So this was like the big, <laughs> yeah, this was like the, the oh, like, your oh parents gosh. must, your parents must oh. have been so proud and so happy. <laughs> they were, let me tell you, I really got that F. My mom was so ashamed. She did not <laughs> want her friends and family to know because they're like very religious, you know, like a dutiful religious, like Orthodox Christian family. And they were all just like, oh my God, for shame, this like dirty little comedian girl. We don't want anyone to know about her. So Anyway, but you know, I was done at that point. I was done people pleasing. I was like, I need to be my actual self so that I'm not like a miserable shell of myself. So I did comedy for two years. It was a super incredible adventure. I think I gained a lot of confidence and bravery and just authenticity and all the things that I had been sort of sacrificing up till that point. And I started to get scouted by MTV and I started to get brought in for auditions at E and all these really cool things were happening. Now, I had also continued to get coached for the two years that I was doing comedy. So kind of wanted to solidify this transformation I was going through. And by the end of the two years, I was like, wow, I don't love comedy anymore. Like, I think I needed it for that disruption of my people-pleasing patterns. But I am obsessed with coaching because this experience I had of 
really being held in a safe space to sort of take off the mask of who I'm supposed to be and being my actual self, that was what gave me joy, fulfillment, brought my energy back, right? Like I felt all this life and aliveness come back that I hadn't had in a long time. And I was like, I think I just want to be a coach. So while that's very confusing because MTV seems enticing, <laughs> I I just at this point, like want to be happy. You know, I want to be happy and fulfilled and I don't want to feel how I used to feel. And in some ways, MTV would have still been like a shiny, cool thing that other people thought was cool, but maybe didn't necessarily feed my soul. So mm-hmm. I did coaching. I've been coaching for 16 years. Um, I wrote this book and I did this TED talk and I've been just coaching, coaching, coaching my whole little <laughs> life away. And, you know, it took mom a long time. But I think after the TED talk, she was finally proud. <laughs> no, the, the I'll tell you, it. Um, it's such a... Um, and I don't mean typical, but I do mean typical in a way for a young woman to go out into the world with certain, certain, you know, you work hard, you do all your, your, your due diligence, you earn the grades, you do all that stuff and you go out into the world and you, you just want to do good. You just want to do a good job, whatever that might be. And then something happens that completely changes your worldview and mm. shakes the very foundations on which you built everything up to that point. And that is terrifying at at that age. So first of all, a a little bit of my experience was around a similar age when I got out of school, I went for an interview at IBM, which at the time was the big, you know, IBM. And honest to God, I remember walking down those hallways and seeing all those people in those little cubicles and thinking, I'm going to die in here. I'm I'm just, (laughs) I am going to die in here because I had that same experience. You know, I I went to college on a scholarship and I was the academic and all that, but inside there was the wild child that I didn't Mm. listen to. And I'm, I'm a little older than you girls, just like, you know, by like a hundred years or so, but it (laughs) took for me a really, really long time to be able to, as you say, in your own work, write your own rule book. And that Mm -hmm. the the level of courage that you had to find that, but here's the other thing that I love about your story. Yes, you found the courage, but as you say in your, in your bio, in your work, it's never a straight shot to the top. Mm. So you're riding along and you feel like you're getting, you know, you found your footing, but then other stuff happens. So this has been a progression. And I imagine that's something that you tell people in your coaching practice. It's never a straight line and you have to be mm-hmm. willing to take those detours. And you had a lot of them. I did. I'm just a wildly detouring lady. A wildly detouring lady. That's, a, <laughs> that's the title of the next book. Wait, I'm curious though, what I found so interesting amongst all the interesting stuff that you just said, and I know our listeners are probably like, what? You said doing stand-up comedy made you brave and confident. Most of us are thinking, oh my God, I would be, a, were you a nervous wreck at first? And, and first of all, back up for a second, you go from, I think I just need to make a change. Stand-up comedy. Like that's a, that is a, <laughs> where, what? How did that that enter into the whole equation that that was going to be what you were going to do? No, that's perfect. You're you're so right, right? Like who does that? Why is (laughs) Sam comedy the thing? 
So I, okay. So a few things. So first of all, I'll answer your first question. I was terrified. I was literally terrified. I think it's actually, I've gone skydiving. I've started a business. I had, I've had babies. I think stand-up comedy is still to this day, the scariest thing I ever did. It was just the most uh, visceral. I could hear my brain screaming at me to try to get me to run out the door right before I went on. You know, there was like so much of an intense experience. Um, so it, I, and I think in a way that's why it made me brave. I was facing fear, right? I was really afraid and I was willing myself to move forward anyway. And I think like that is courage. That is bravery. I didn't like wake up one day going like, yeah, I'm just going to get on stage and it's going to be no big deal because I'm a brave person. No, like I was an incredibly fearful person, but I was like, I want a different life, right? Like I think the misery of spending a year and a half abandoning my own self gave me enough fuel in my fuel tank to catalyze the change. And the reason comedy was the right change for me was because of that background of kind of knowing I was a creative type. I had always done like dance and choreography and people always told me, oh, you should be an actor in high school. And I would always say, I'd rather be a comedian because at least I could say my own stories. You know, so I always, it was always like sort of there. Okay. And then when when I graduated college, I went on a trip to Seattle for fun with some friends. We met this guy named Brian Moot. He's a great guy. He does radio in Atlanta, Georgia. He, I saw him do stand-up comedy for the first time and it was really fun and cool. And then I slowly, while I was at miserable at my job, watched him on MySpace ascend into being like a real comedian and felt jealous. So I'm not a person who really does jealousy. I'm like, yeah, good for you. That's great. Like, good, you know, I just have, I'm just have always been kind of like high, high vibe and excited and happy for people and just don't tend to feel envy. But when I felt envy, about that, I was like, oh, that's weird. Does this mean I want this? So it was kind of like under the surface, kind of brewing for years, really, before that seminar. And I recall one time being on MySpace, I had looked at his page, and then I looked at some other female comedian that I found from his page. And she had some quiz that said, should more women do stand-up comedy? And it was like, hell yes, no, maybe. And I clicked <laughs> hell yes right away. And in that moment, I'm like, why am I clicking that? But I won't do it. Like, I know I want to do it, but I won't do it. And it really took that seminar. They had to set a 90-day goal before the end. And that, and that was where I was like, okay, this is going to be my goal. It's been brewing. I've been wanting. I've been thinking. I've been dreaming. I've been not doing. So let me take this catalyzing opportunity to just do it finally. So wow. that's the background. So there are a couple of things that you were talking about here that that really, really hit me abandoning you're tired of abandoning yourself and the thing that was interesting about that is i feel like we think that we're keeping ourselves safe when we follow all those rules but the misery that comes from following the rules when that's not your true purpose it's mm. it's literally crushing and you mm -hmm. you have had some periods of of depression and challenge but the interesting thing to me was that one of those periods occurred right while you were or after you were doing the stand-up comedy, even though that was like mm -hmm. your goal and you, but, but you yeah. experienced some burnout. So I kind of want people to hear that part of the story, because even when we're, as you said in your website, following your bliss, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have those ups and downs mm -hmm. and, you know, running into the wall. So give us that part of the story. I'm so glad you're asking this question because I was just thinking about this this morning, how interesting it is that 
sometimes on the outside things look so perfect, right? Like if you look at my life, you think, oh, she did a TED talk. She did a, she's living her dream. It's so great. I'm like, but I'm still a human who struggles, right? And there's always things that I'm working towards or, or parts of myself I'm working against or healing through. Like it's just life. So I think sometimes we as human beings can almost idealize or put on a pedestal something that's out that feels outside of ourselves. And I just feel like that in and of itself is the lie. It's just, it's just the lie. Like you are going to experience hard things, whether you're on the right path or not. It's just that when you're on the right path, it's going to be worth it. And you're going to be like, let's go. Like I'm willing, you know, like I was willing to like move through the fear of doing comedy because I understood it on the other side was like my authenticity, my like operating inside my identity. Therefore I was like fulfilled and happy and empowered and my real self at, versus this shell of a person who just sat at a desk job, let people disrespect me and hated my life. They were both hard, but one was more exciting and fulfilling and, and, and authentic. And one was like depressing and draining and, you know, like doing anyway. So to answer your question. So, so I did experience burnout later on, right? So I did the comedy and it was all exciting. And then I realized I wanted to do coaching. So I became an entrepreneur, which is another very hard thing to do. I'm sure you ladies know. <laughs> and, you know, so I started my journey of entrepreneurship at the same time that I got married and had a baby. And so one thing I now know in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. You just that, don't like sleep. Uh, you never want sleep. <laughs> right? Like, the worst, the most insane. Like, am I crazy? I think I'm crazy. I, honestly, like a lack of foresight is just my middle name. So I, if we could see into the future, we wouldn't do 90% of the stuff that we do. I mean, let's be serious. It, it is so true. Yeah, it's better. It's the ignorance isn't bliss, but like it's better. So anyway, I went into two very destabilizing times in life, right? Like leaving a secured job and jumping into the unknown of starting a business. I didn't know that having a baby would be that destabilizing, but I now know it's one of the most destabilizing things a woman will ever do in her life, right? Just like yep. identity shifts and like quality of life and basic needs not getting met because there's too much going on. So both of those things happen at the same time. And at the time it was very confusing to have the dream life, right? Like me and my husband, my soulmate, we just had our first child. We live by the beach. I drive a Mini Cooper convertible. I just started my dream purpose business. Like it just looked from the outside so stunning. Yeah. And I was crushed. Like postpartum depression. I didn't expect that. Dear Lord, that was soul crushing. Oh, that's horrible. I had that with my first Holy. two. It was the worst. The worst, it's right? The worst. Like, like, you literally don't even want to get out of bed. It's awful. It's horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. By week four, I'm having suicidal thoughts and I'm like, not okay. And I just struggled really, really hard because entrepreneurship was hard and motherhood was hard. I didn't know how to do either of them. I was navigating too much uncertainty. And so that is one of those detours where like, yeah, I'm on the right path and I'm excited about all the things that are happening, but I am struggling tremendously, likely more than I've struggled ever. I had never dealt with depression like that. I had never had suicidal thoughts like that. I just... It was a really freaking hard time. And yet in the same way that that sexual harassment tragedy sent me in a positive direction, that depression, postpartum depression, entrepreneurship phase also sent me in a different direction. I'm still an entrepreneur, but I now will not sacrifice myself for success. I now will not sacrifice myself for motherhood or to be a good wife. I now will not fulfill roles for other people at the expense of my soul. I now prioritize self-care. 
and have conversations like this to support other women and also doing the same because I think we are fully socialized to just be the martyr, you know, like we're praised for that martyr archetype and it's dark and it's not healthy. And I feel like women deserve better. So thank you for having me on today for this conversation because it means a lot to me. I love it. I love it. I actually just recently started paying attention to all of those feelings and, and signs. And like you're saying, I'm not, I'm not selling my soul for this. I'm not, I mean, I actually canceled a really big gig, right? Cause I, as I was getting up to it, I, the, the, the anxiety that was coming in, I couldn't figure out, I had never experienced it before. And it was like, I finally just sat there the one morning and listened. And I thought, why am I saying yes to all of this stuff that I don't necessarily have to say yes to? I am in control of my life. And it, it comes down to, I'm not sacrificing motherhood. You know, my last one is home. My last child is home until September. She goes to college, right? So I'm like prioritizing. And when I finally, and I finally, it's almost like I stood up for myself and said, no, I am not fitting into all of this stuff. Oh my God, that was scary though, to finally stand up for myself, you know, and, and really into my own self. But I'll tell you what, I never felt lighter, happier, and I had no regrets about the decision and that, I mean, I'm 51 years old. It has taken that long of paying attention to all of this, but you know what I did? I, I always look back and say, when I crashed, what, what was leading up to that, that I missed all of those signals, you know, that then I crashed. So now, and I used to get really hard on myself and sit in that shame of, oh my God, you did it again. Right now I'm like, oh yeah, you did it again. But we learned this. If I learn one thing in that, in that big, you know, mishap, then I'm like, Hey, look, you're growing. Look at you, Kristen. <laughs> She's growing up. The other thing I wanted to say, you were saying earlier about the, it looks like the dream life and you have all of the boxes checked, but also struggling. I'll tell you what, years ago, I was always of the conditioned brain, I guess, that you climb. There is no detail. I didn't know that mountain climbers go around and back to base camp, but I was just thinking ascend, right? So as I was accomplishing things, when something, when, when something would fall apart, I'm like, man, I suck. I was on this, you know, and then I would stay way down in, in the, in the valley too long. I read a book years ago by this guy, Scott McIntyre, who actually was the first person with a disability on American Idol. He was in the top 10 of American Idol years ago. He happens to be blind. And my two sons are blind. So we were like, we really loved him. And in his book, he talks about that very concept that here he is on American Idol, everything he ever wanted. And he was also in kidney failure and had to get a kidney transplant. And then, and he goes through all that. Then he like gets married and meets the girl of his dreams and something else at the same time. And it was the first real story that I had ever known of, you can be having all this great stuff and sucky stuff too. And you just have to navigate it. Yeah. It was incredible that I, and I was, I was a mother of three by the time I had read that book and figured that out. So is that, is that, part, of, is that part mm -hmm. of you, you talk about writing your own rule book. Is that part of that? It, you know, like Kristen said, you, you, you recognize that there are ups and downs, but you allow yourself to experience both of them mm -hmm. and don't beat yourself yeah, yeah. up when, you know, you're, you, you're failing air quotes here, failing at something. Yeah. I think, um, one of the rules I was breaking, um, or rules I was writing 
that I think a lot of us were taught as kids is that like almost like negative emotions are bad, right? So mm. when you're happy, you get that pat on the back and everything's good. When you're crying or angry, everyone just kind of wants to fix you, right? Like your parents don't really know what to do with that emotion. They might even like, you know, immigrant families are very uncomfortable with vulnerable emotion. They're okay with anger, but they're not comfortable with like crying. So I remember once having like a really hard breakup and my mom just like being really mean to me to toughen me up. Immigrants are tough, right? They've, they've learned how to survive. Um, and so I feel like one of the rules I was unlearning that I was taught was that negative emotions are bad and that I'm bad or should be ashamed if I have negative emotions. I, I, I like, yes, have mm -hmm. learned to- Because it's a failure somehow, right? Exactly. Somehow it's a failure or something is wrong, right? And even that I think can lead to divorce. I've had clients tell me like, oh, we keep fighting a lot. So I think he might not be the one. I'm like, it's pretty normal to fight in a marriage. You should just keep fighting. <laughs> just keep it going. This doesn't mean anything's wrong. You know, like I feel like there's that like, oh, you know, just that good, bad, right, wrong, almost not space for the gray, like almost too much in judgment. I feel yeah. like I slowly just made more space for the gray. Like, oh, I I don't have to follow rules and be whoever wants me to be. I get to be a comedian. I get to be this weird thing that doesn't make sense to anybody. Cool. Oh, um, I'm incredibly depressed in my dream life. Maybe I need to pay more attention to my mental health and get some support, which I've never felt like I could do as like a codependent, recovering codependent people pleaser. You think you have to do everything alone, right? So it was like, oh, okay, I'm going to make more space for this new thing. I'm going to bring on support. Oh, I'm also going to make more space for the fact that you can be really successful and also be really struggling. And neither of them are good, bad, right, or wrong. They just are. Like just understanding that life is this expansive experience where you can hold space for a lot. And just taking the judgment out of it helps lessen the drama. Like there's no drama. I was postpartum depressed. It's not my fault. I don't have to feel bad about anything. I'm just like, go get a therapist. Like, it's fine. You know? Whereas like, I think the story I made up in my mind was I'm failing at motherhood. If I'm sad and I'm not just like all the like happy selfies I see on social media, I must be bad at this. And therefore I will be ashamed, keep it a secret and suffer in silence. And that was not true. Like, honey. And now I know like one out of every four women gets postpartum depression. That's probably an, an incorrect statistic, but it's a lot. Okay. A lot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot. So, so now I know, oh, like, why did I judge myself? Why did I judge myself, shame myself, put myself in a box, suffer in silence? Like, no, like just give yourself what you need when you need it, whatever that looks like, you know? So, you know, what I'm hearing in this is in order to wake up your inner rebel, you don't have to be a stand-up comedian. You just have to pay yeah. attention to yourself. You, you have to allow that what you just said about life being this expansive experience that we just have to recognize things happen and, and they're not necessary. I know that sounds very uh, new agey woo woo. Oh, it's not good or it's bad. It's not bad. You know, it, <laughs> Like that kind of woo-woo stuff. I'm like, oh, it sucked. It was just terrible. Don't tell me it's not bad. But the but the fact is, yeah, it can suck. I mean, but that's, yeah. it doesn't mean I suck. That's right. And, yeah, that's, that's and right. that to me is kind of the crux of what you're saying. So I'm guessing that's kind of what you have to lead people to. Yes, this is mm -hmm. happening and it's, and it's lousy, but it doesn't mean you're lousy. So is, exactly. is that like the I, message you're giving to people? Yeah, I think pretty much. I really loved Kristen's story about how she honored the anxiety, right? That's a negative emotion. Instead of shaming herself and saying, oh, I'm wrong for feeling this. Oh, I must yeah. not be worthy of success because I feel this, right? That's the like self-shaming we can do. 
she was like, let me pause and let me actually listen. And she just honored the fact that in her life right now, her value is her beautiful moments with her kid who's about to go off to college. That's incredible. That's like, that's someone actually prioritizing their values, right? Living a values aligned life, which is most of what I help people with every day, instead of the abandoning yourself to fit into some narrative of what success looks like. I mean, that's like the perfect example of like, it doesn't have to be stand-up comedy, just has to be like, what do you want? What does your heart actually want? Your heart, not your head, not your brain that's going to tell you that you have to do that gig so that you can be worthy of someone else's approval. Like, forget that part, right? And your, your heart. And that's really what I was trying to do with my TEDx talk. It's called the intelligence of being irrational with the hope that I'm supporting people and getting out of their rational brain and really into their heart. Like, what do I desire, whether it makes sense or not? Comedy made no sense. I was not going to make any money. I didn't think I was ever going to get scouted by MTV. All I knew was it was this one irrational impulse I'd wanted to do for long enough to finally stop talking myself out of it. You know, just like do it, just do the thing. And then it led me to coaching. Like it made me realize this is all I ever wanted. And I've been doing it for 16 years for like a crazy creative commitment phobic. <laughs> 16 years is like amazing. I love it. And I, I love that this is what's really striking me that it's almost like you're putting into words what I've been feeling for the past couple of years. When you said it's not black and white, it, the gray area is big. And I feel like I was always one of those people that lived. I know I was. I guess I was raised in that frame of black and white. It's Kristen one or the other. You can't do. And and this this gray, we really do live in the gray. And then it is okay. I guess that's what I've been experiencing in this transformation the past year and a half of, hey, it's okay to not be all in on this one thing, or you don't have to just be this one thing. And yes, you are success, success, success. So then when I didn't have success, I'm like, damn, now what? Now it's like, oh, that happened. Well, it's keeping me humble. <laughs> That's what I say about my kids. If I only had like my firstborn, he's the typical firstborn, right? It was my secondborn that came along to say, guess what? We're not going to let you be one of those annoying, perfect Karens because I'm here. <laughs> he is you know, hilarious, though, it, but oh my God. It, it's it just, um, everything that you're saying indicates to me that people don't have to, like Kristen said, divide their lives into right and wrong, that all mm -hmm. these things can coexist at the same time. And it's a matter of like, just accepting that as opposed to mm -hmm. constantly, you know, I think we feel like we have to constantly tweak things to make things better, but sometimes mm -hmm. we don't, right? Sometimes yeah. we just have to get through them or we just have to experience them. I mean, like, is that part of the message too? Like, don't worry about fixing everything. A hundred percent. Don't worry about fixing everything. You know, and I think that is, that is the message. Like I run this group and it's all about like breaking glass ceiling. You know, these women come and they're all like ambitious and in male dominated fields. And one of the biggest things I say every week is that like the biggest and best lie the patriarchy ever told us was that you need to be fixed. You don't need to yeah. be fixed. You cannot, your worth is inherent. It cannot be lowered and it cannot be raised. It's inherent. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't. So there's nothing wrong at all. You know, it's just like, what do you truly desire? How do you want to choose to like live your life? Right? Like 
live your life with intention. None of your desires are wrong. I feel like women, man, for ages have been taught, uh, you can't be too sexy. You can't be too successful. You better not want too much. Like you better not ask for that raise. Like my second TEDx talk is going to be about closing the gender pay gap. And so I'm going to go like really in on this, these ideas that we've been taught as women. And the truth is, listen, my coaching is also not go get as much as you can. I do think that that's actually like a very Western, aggressive, willful, masculine way to live your life. A lot of what I've learned, like from the postpartum depression phase is like, relax. Like Sometimes it's more about happiness and being in tune with my kid today than it is about doing a TEDx talk. That's fine. You know, like I'm not into constant go, 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 but I'm also not into talk yourself out of what you want and be less, you know? So I'm really trying to help People just be their actual selves, whatever that is. You're ambitious, great, go for it. You're not, you know, it's interesting. Enjoy that. Isn't it? Isn't it interesting though that sometimes you want the big thing and other times you just don't. And and I think that we we beat ourselves up because we feel that way. Like we think we have to be success oriented, Mm. but then we define that success on someone else's terms. So it sounds like you're saying you're trying to teach people to define success, maybe in the moment, like one moment, it might be one thing, but in another moment, it might be another. That is true. And I will say, you know, I do think there are going to be things that make a big difference. Like this book, I had a full night of insomnia, insomnia. I'm a narcolept. Like I could sleep for days. Like I don't have the trouble falling asleep at night. I sometimes wake up too early. So I have trouble staying asleep, but sleep is not a problem for me. So when I had a full night of insomnia, I was like, oh, wow, this is like a real anxiety. I'm, I can't believe that just happened. And the thought that was plaguing me is I had at the time context, I was a failed entrepreneur who had to go back and get a job. I was doing sales for Xerox, not my dream job. Okay. <laughs> so I was in my first week of training. It was like day four. It was a Thursday night. And I had to go to work the next day. So I'm really annoyed. I didn't sleep. But the whole night, the thought that was plaguing me was, what if I, what if I live an ordinary life and never write a book? It was like on repeat the entire night. And I was haunted by that thought. That was eight years before this book actually came out. So I feel like if you have something on your heart that you really want, that is where it's worth pushing for. That is where it's like, oh, I understood that if I die without writing whatever this book is, I will regret it. So for that purpose, I will hire a writing coach and give myself accountability to get through the days where I don't feel like it. Because there's a lot of days where I don't feel like sitting and writing some like deep philosophical stuff, right? Especially as a mom and like all the things. Um, so yeah, so I, and I think that's the balance, right? Like don't will yourself into being someone else's standard of success, figure out what is truly important and will, uh, impact you. Meaning you will not have regrets on your deathbed, like figure out what those things are for you. Like, what will you regret not having done when you're dying? Okay. Write those down, hire a coach, make it happen. Cause those are what matters, but yeah, don't like chronically shame yourself into constant success. That's just like uh, another form of- That's a great line. Don't chronically shame yourself into constant success. I'm scribbling away here. <laughs> right? at your, there you go. That's going to go, that's going to go in the quotes. <laughs> I have, I, I have, a, um, I want to back up for a second to one of the most important things that we talk about in terms of living brilliantly resilient is having a tribe of people, big mm. tribe, small tribe. And you, you really- highlighted that with your friend that was like, you got to go do this. You got to go do this. I'm interested though, to now I'm starting to think about what we've never really talked about that much is 
removing people from the tribe, oh. like getting people out. Cause as I'm thinking, I, I, I can't believe you guys are talking about postpartum depression. I had it with my third child. I was like blown away that, the, of course, I also moved halfway across the country and, and had a crazy, horrible marriage, but that, that person mm-hmm. being in my tribe. So when you're saying it's okay to, to not be the perfect mom, it's okay to go through all this. So I had someone saying that is not okay. That is not okay. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. You know what I mean? And it wasn't even that the major depression. I wasn't getting out of bed. Although it did force me to start really looking into it. So I, I had to like come at it with like a PowerPoint presentation. My magnesium mm. is low because I changed water systems. My I went through, I just moved across the country. Like I had to really look at it. But I think it's important, mm. especially as we've addressed, talked about this postpartum. I think it is important for our listeners to understand that sometimes you do need to remove people mm-hmm. from the tribe that are making you fit into these black and white and 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 maybe yeah. not, you know, parents, we can't remove them, but we cannot answer their phone call three <laughs> times a day. You know, we have to manage the, the tribe yeah. members a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And actually, like, you almost can't finish this conversation without it. I have. Yeah. I feel like every seven years, there's like two or three that go (laughs) just being totally honest. Like that's just kind of how it's evolved. And then there's usually like one or two critical, amazing people who come in. So I feel like, you know, and even clients, there's been times where I'm raising rates and they're really uncomfortable with my higher rates and I hate letting them go. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to. I'm so attached to you. We've been through so much and it's been amazing. But I have to because it's part of my evolution and expansion and I can't shrink, right? That's my whole message. Don't shrink to fit for anyone, for anything ever. Yeah, it's it's, it's like, it's almost, it's an unfortunate reality. I think when you are, I think it's an unfortunate reality for anyone who is willing to grow. I think the only people who have the same friends for their entire life are people who don't grow. People who maybe stay who they were when they were young, maybe still have the friends that they had when they were young, like that works for them. Yeah. When you're a person who is about growth and expanding into the next version of yourself, whatever that looks like, which obviously you ladies are brilliantly resilient. And, you know, we have Kristen talking specifically about the last year and a half and how she's changing. Of course, there's going to be people who got to go because they're going to be uncomfortable with this next version of you. They're going to be uncomfortable with you know, the version of you that isn't willing to people please, or isn't willing to like shove yourself in the corner to make them happy. They're going to be like, wait, where'd you go? Like, you're not being who I'm used to. And so they'll either go with you, right. They'll either adjust and be like, I love you. However you are, we're good. And that's unconditional love. And that is worth keeping, or they're going to shame you for becoming a new version of yourself. Um, I've also seen it like look very confusing when I, did a launch two years before this book was published. I did a launch, like a Kickstarter for books, basically kind of a thing where you're like raising funds and you're saying, Hey, if I sell this many books, I'm going to get a publisher. La la. I had a best friend at the time, best friend of 20 years, amazing human maid of honor. Okay. <laughs> and out of nowhere, she just started attacking me. You're not a good friend. You hang out with so-and-so more than you hang out with me. And this is what I mean by it can be confusing. It doesn't come straight. No one's going to come straight at you and say, I'm really jealous that you are going after your dreams and I'm not. And so I'm going to be mean to you now. Nobody does that. Okay. They just start attacking you for something unrelated. Not all the time, but this is how it shook out this time. Um, And I was very confused. I'm like, where is this coming from? What is happening? We tried to work it out two, three, four, five months. And then I finally got to the point where I was like, I'm going to take a beat. 
I'm going to take a beat. I'm going to stop trying to work this out. I'm going to take a beat. And then I remembered that in high school, when I was voted homecoming queen, she did the same thing. So mm. this is a 20 year friendship. And these are only two instances where she's acted like this. So in my mind, my rational mind was like 20 years, two little blips where she acted a fool. No big deal. Keep her. Right. But my heart was like, I'm not going to stop winning in my life. I'm not. I hadn't done the TEDx talk yet, but I knew I wanted to. Do I want to be attacked every time I do something that looks successful? I don't, especially not by my best friend. Like that was where I was like, wow, I actually think this friendship has to go. I, I can't believe it. I'm in shock. I don't want this, but I am unwilling to be treated badly every time something good happens for me. That is a dynamic from a toxic childhood that I really wanted to let go of. So I was like, this has to go. I cannot, be- I, yeah, I, yeah, still shocked. I mean, and this so, was three years ago. The interesting um, thing about that is that sometimes even successes can be painful because they do cause changes in our lives that are mm-hmm. not on that track of, yay, everything's great. Because Like you said earlier, life is life and it it comes at you with all of the, that's another part of that gray space that you think, um, you know, that we have to, that we, we have to accept that and recognize that. Well, this has been a conversation that we have just loved and could talk to you forever and ever and ever, but tell everybody (laughs) where they can find out more about you and find out uh, where to get the book and um, they can get more of your wisdom. Okay. I love it. I also could talk to you ladies forever and ever. We just keep jamming and jamming. <laughs> um, so yes, my website is shereenthor.com. Um, you know, I'm sure you could find it if you have trouble spelling it. You could always just look for my TEDx talk at the intelligence of being irrational. And somehow you'll find me on that yellow brick road. I'm on the socials, but I would say go to the website and um, maybe download my happiness cheat sheet because then you'll be on my email and I'll be able to harass you with my thoughts and feelings about this life. Oh, I'm getting that. I can't wait to see that one. Happiness cheat sheet. I'm in. I'm in. Good stuff. This has been so so much much fun. Joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. You guys are amazing women. I appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Shereen. And if you are looking for more resources to be brilliantly resilient, go to brilliantlyresilient.net. Sign up for our Brilliance Bit, our most popular uh, website thing that we've got going on. And we will come into your inbox every week with a less than one minute read to keep you living brilliantly resilient. We'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.